With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to episode Ben Harper of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Colin Cudmore, and we're back with episode three of Draft Debaters. If you missed our first two episodes, I suggest checking those out too. Uh, but it is a new set of prospects being discussed today with a slightly different episode format, as I'm just joined by one scout instead of two today. Uh, just a bit of a last minute change, but nevertheless, I'm excited to talk about some draft prospects today as always. So to introduce you to today's scout... He writes for SB Nations on the forecheck and is a fellow Kyle Turris appreciator. Welcome to the show, Eric Dune. Eric, how's it going? Good. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk only about Ben Harper and uh, nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're going to talk about Ben Harper a little bit, and I'm excited to talk about the draft today, too. Um, just for the listeners, you may know Eric as the guy behind the Twitter account On the Future, uh, who covers National Predators prospects, as well as lots of a great draft analysis there too. Um, but yeah, just a bit of an aside, I, you, you kind of mentioned this is something I was a bit curious about at first because uh, this happens to be episode 67, which was Ben Harper's jersey number with the Sens. So uh, of course the Predators just extended Harper for another season. Uh, I'm wondering if you can give us uh, just a bit of an update on how Harper's doing in Nashville. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I hope none of your listens, listeners will be surprised by what I'm about to say, but uh so Harper only played seven games in in Milwaukee, um, Nashville's AHL affiliate there, um, before the season ended, um, mostly with Alexander Carrier, who's one of Nashville's top defensive prospects. Um, you know, they don't have a true, like, one, two, three pairing, but if you had a number one defenseman in Milwaukee, it would be Carrier. Um, and I was actually, I've been spending a lot of the season uh, manually tracking a lot of Preds prospects. And mm-hmm. I took the liberties to track all seven of those games for Ben Harper. And uh, it was not fun. Um, ah, 40, yeah. 47% Corsi rating um, allowed a controlled zone entry against him 53% of the time and a shocking eight and a half high danger shots on net against per 60 minutes. So, um, you know, just not at all an NHL player, Um barely an AHL player at times. Uh, I'm kind of unclear why they, they re-signed him um, aside from just having a veteran body, but even at that you know rate, why not just give him an AHL contract? So, you know, your guess is as good as mine, but uh, that's what's new with Ben Harper. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds a lot like the Harper we do in Ottawa. I mean, you can't teach sizes, as I guess they say, um, except I guess our Ben Harper was playing top four minutes in the NHL, so... <laughs> 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 Anyways, just, just that was just a little aside because uh, the main reason I, I want to talk to you today is uh, because you have some excellent draft analysis up on, on the fort check and uh, that's what we want to talk about today. Um, so this episode will obviously be a little bit different, but uh, Eric, you released your top 31 rankings uh, just less than a month ago and I picked out four of those prospects who you ranked uh, a bit away from the consensus uh, of, uh, of the consensus rankings I've been tracking. 
So um, all of your top picks really weren't against the grain. So the theme of this episode is going to be more around uh, mid-tier first-round picks. Uh, actually, all of them are forwards too. So uh, these could be some players that the Sens could maybe target with the Islanders' first-round pick or uh, even the Predators with their first-round pick if we have any Nashville listeners tuning into the Cosper Pointcast. But uh, I think we should just begin. So the first player on my list is Dylan Holloway. Uh, he's a forward for the University of Wisconsin. Um, he's one of the rare players who's playing in the NCAA in his draft year. Um, he's been excelling there too with uh, with his expected range currently sitting between uh, 11th and 17th for this draft. So uh, Eric, you have him outside of that, uh, just outside of that range at 20th on your list. So um, just a couple questions. So what is your assessment of Holloway's prospect and uh, why do you think you aren't quite as high on him? Sure, yeah. Um, so I think as a prospect, I mean, I, you know, I'll preface this by saying, you, you can't hop on here and say that Holloway is not a first round talent. You know, like I don't want to be yeah. egregious and say that he is, you know, you know, doesn't deserve any of the hype. Um, I think that at times this year, his game at Wisconsin really excelled. Um, you know, he's a, he's a really good skater. Um, he's got a lot of good North South speed. Um, you know, there's a, there's a good two way edge to his game in terms of, you know, breaking up zone entries or, or getting back, on the back check uh and obviously you know the physical aspect he's a very strong player and it shows on the ice you know he likes to use his body uh you know a good puck protector um and, and really good at, at using that um when uh when when going against opponents in one-on-one battles but um you know i gotta be honest i think part of why i'm not as high is you know look like wisconsin obviously had a pretty disappointing year i mean given all the talent they've got there uh Cole caulfield yeah. keandre miller to name just two, um, you know, not the season I think that uh, some were expecting going into the year. And I think part of that um, transfers to Holloway too. You know, I think going into the season, I think there were a considerable number of takes to saying, you know, this is a top 10 talent, you know, and maybe that's true. Maybe when we get to whenever the draft will be, you know, that ends up being the case. But um, I think there were just too many instances of games where, you know, there wasn't enough consistency in what I think he does well. Um, you know, I think he can really be a dominant college player you know, as early as next season. Uh, you know, he was just at 17 points in 35 games this year, which is good, um, you know, but not elite by any means. Um, and, you know, I think he's really good at, at getting where he needs to go, whether it's with the puck offensively or without the puck defensively. But, you know, I had some concern about, what he does when he gets there. Um, you know, sometimes his puck support's a little lacking or he just doesn't seem to be uh, you know, completely intentful about what he's doing off the puck. Uh, you know, he, he excels a lot at coming into the zone and using his body to get around defenders or, you know, shedding off checks along the boards. But you know, at the next level, that's going to get harder. And, uh, you know, that speed advantage isn't always going to be there. So, I think just really committing to those and, and, you know, I think he's a good skater. Uh, I don't think that's an issue, but, you know, sometimes his accelerating steps are a little choppy. They're a little weird. Um, so I think it's just about refining all those things. And, you know, as that happens and that comes to fruition, you know, I'm sure that whoever picks him will, will have a really good player on their hands. Totally. And, and you kind of alluded to his production and you said 17, 17 points in 35 games. And, and that, that's still like a fair amount for a freshman NCAA player, especially being uh, one of the youngest players in the, in the entire, um, in the entire league. 
Um, but it's also if you're just just looking at historical comparables, and and I mean Holloway did have some good talent around him as well. But um, just the comparables, just just on the points per game level, the two guys that came closest are Nick Shore and Matt Nieto, who aren't necessarily like game breaking guys, but I mean they, they are NHLers. But do you think that Holloway has a potential ceiling as maybe a top six player, or do you think he could, or do you think he's more likely to kind of bottom out as a bottom six guy, or do you see any anywhere else he could end up with his projection projectability at this point? Sure. Yeah. No, I I think he's definitely got top six talent. I mean, um, you know, if you compiled all of his shifts where he was playing, you know, you know, doing what he does well uh, and and at top speed, you know, he looks like an absolutely dominant player at times. Um, And you have to remember, he, he left junior hockey a year early. He's also coming from the AJHL, which is... Uh, you know, yeah. developing leagues certainly, but by no means, you know, a top um, junior talent producer yet. Um, and I think he's just still kind of working into that size and, and working into using that to his advantage um, against older college players. You know, playing in the Big Ten is a huge advantage. It's a really hard conference. You know, he's playing against guys that are 21, 22, um, you know, sometimes older. Um, so that helps. Uh, but again, I, I think it's just a matter of, you know, keep committing to those flashes of skill that we've seen, um, you know, when you're entering the zone with the puck, when you're, you know, going one-on-one with a defender, when you're looking for a setup, when you're back-checking, you know, looking for an opportunity to break up a passing or shooting lane, uh, and just, you know, more intention there. And and again, I think um, he can be a really good player. I just, it's not just quite there yet for me. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at it like that and, um, I mean, there's definitely some balancing factors to be taken into account because, as, as you mentioned, the NCAA is is a good place for for development too, especially and he like because uh, he has this kind of advantage against playing against some uh, older American competition compared to like his US, USHL or USDP peers year year early may even give him a little bit of a leg up. And, and then there's also the other factor on the other side of that he, because he's a September birthday, he's also one of the oldest players in the class. You kind of have to balance it the other way. In, in, in the sense that mm-hmm. he's had more time to develop that way. So I'm just wondering, how do you kind of balance these factors? And do you think he has more of like a leg up on players because of his age or just playing in the NCAA? Yeah, I think the age thing is, is such a huge deal. And um, I think it's something that a lot of the scouting community has is, is really started to pay attention to more um, the past couple of years, which is good. It's not everything by any means, but it is important, you know, when you've got a player who turns 18, you know, right before September 15th of their draft year. Um, that's a really key thing to look about, about projecting where they're going to be next season or the season after that. You know, um, I think Holloway has, you know, probably got at least two more years in college. Um, you know, maybe one, but I would, I would say two. So uh, I think it's, you know, it can be certainly an advantage, but again, you're, you're, you know, we're not looking at a 19 year old in the OHL. We're looking at an 18 year old, playing against, you know, college seniors who are, you know, despite his size, still more physically mature, obviously older, you know, have played in the conference for three, four years. Uh, so again, I, I think the 17 points is, is certainly good. Um, and by no means do I think there's a significant, you know, lag in his game or anything he does really poorly. Um, but again, I think it's just a matter of keep refining those skills that he displayed, you know, at times this year and, and the results will come and, you know, who knows next season, he could be you know, one of the best forwards in the country and whoever drafts him will, you know, have him when I'm out of school and, and playing, uh, you know, 
in uh, the AHL or, or the NHL or wherever. So. Totally, yeah. It's interesting seeing, especially as you mentioned, the talent in Wisconsin definitely has the potential to be great down the road. But uh, I kind of want to move on to the second player, and uh, that's Dawson Mercer. And it's a player that you're a bit higher on, uh, but just as a bit about him first, he's a winger in the QMJHL where he's put the season between uh, both Drummondville and then traded to Shakutami. And as a bit of a surprise, he also represented uh, Team Canada at the World Juniors where they, of course, won the gold medal there. And uh, just in terms of his expected range, uh, that currently sits between 13th and 21st. So uh, not too different than Holloway, just a little, just a little bit below. But um, you, as I mentioned, you, you do have Mercer higher up in your rankings this time, all the way up at 10th, which is actually the highest um, ranking I have in all of the sources I'm currently tracking, which I found a bit interesting. So um, I'm just wondering, first, uh, how would you describe Mercer's game? And also, uh, why do you think he should uh, have top 10 consideration? Sure. Um, I think the the top thing that stands out about Mercer, uh, if anyone watches him, is his ability uh, with the puck on a stick. Um, you know, you obviously have you know your top five players, top three or whatever in this draft, and um, Alexis Lafreniere and Quentin Byfield, who you know are obviously incredibly skilled um, with and without the puck. Uh, I think Mercer has shown this season um, and before that you know his hands, you know, with the puck on a stick are are just as good. Um, I mean, he can stick handle in nearly any space successfully. Uh, you'll see him outmaneuver defenders when he probably has no business doing so. Uh, coming off, you know, a check from the wall or he's got two guys on him and, you know, all these things. Um, so I think that's the first thing that stands out. And the second thing that stands out to me is uh, just how he sees the ice. You know, I think part of the scouting process that you really have to consider is um, decision-making, you know, we use a lot of buzzwords like awareness or hockey IQ or anything like that, but you know, that decision-making process is really important. And one thing I've noticed from watching him is, um, when he is looking to make a play, whether he's got the puck on a stick or not, he, um, is able to identify, you know, two, three things at once. Um, and you'll often see him, you know, he might come off the boards with the puck in the offensive zone and, and then simultaneously he's identifying, which teammate he's passing to. So he's, he's picking up that passing lane. And then he's making sure that that teammate also has a lane to set him up for a goal or set another team up, teammate up for a goal. So he's looking in two, three directions, kind of mapping that out all at the same time. Um, and I think that's such a good transferable skill that, you know, even when other departments are lacking, obviously there's some concerns about his skating. Uh, I think that's something that will help, you know, transfer him to the next level and and help him display those skills that he has yeah interesting and i mean just just to be open about this i've been pretty high in mercer the entire season as well so hopefully we don't come off a bit too biased here but um <laughs> because i mean i I'm just kind of pumping his tires as well it's just such just this dynamic offensive player especially um but i also think it's worth uh mentioning that he did have a cooler second half of the season uh, i mean he just in the first half of the season he was just lighting the qmjhl on fire but in the second half he kind of cooled down um, but do you think that could be maybe tied into uh, playing with a new team or do you think there's other factors or uh, is that even a concern to you having that cooler second half? Yeah, it's definitely something um, to monitor. I mean, the QMJHL can be so weird because, you know, you'll have guys who will light it up, you know, for two, three years in junior and can never, you know, score a goal in the NHL their entire career. Um, so, you know, I think with the QMJHL more than other places, you kind of have to you know, really balance your approach at scouting the league. Um, I think that's part of it. You know, he went from 
a Drummondville team where, like you said, he was, you know, just tearing it up to uh, a Chikunumi team that's, uh, I would say, certainly has a much more balanced offensive approach. I mean, you've got um, some serious talent up front there on that team, um, you know, where he's not the centerpiece anymore and, and he's not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the one that has to do it all. And, uh, you know, maybe that helps uh, refine his game in other places. You know, I can certainly see why some people would see that as a, as a big red flag, but... You know, it's not like he went to Chikudami and all of a sudden he forgot how to stick handle. You know, the skill is is absolutely still there. So, yeah, and uh, I mean, you you also mentioned this uh, earlier, but uh, you talked a bit about his skating and about how that kind of is the thing that kind of most scouts kind of point towards being the thing that he needs to improve most. And uh, to some, that can also be a bit of a red flag, especially as you mentioned playing in the QMJHL where players um, there are some more opportunities to cheat for players who can just. Uh, um, maneuver around defenders um and stick handle around them where they aren't pushing as much so um uh, just want, wondering if you could talk maybe a bit more about his skating whether you think that's a bit of a concern or whether you think that's something he'll be able to improve down the road yeah it's definitely uh really interesting um uh, you know sometimes in some games of his i've watched i will see you know his skating stride when he's going from the defensive zone to the offensive zone or, or vice versa and you know it looks all right it doesn't you know, it's certainly not incredibly fluid and, and perfect, but, you know, he's getting where he needs to go and he's not severely lagging behind the play. And then other times, you know, I've seen him and he'll be maneuvering in the offensive zone or, or doing whatever. And, uh, you know, the skating stride is just so choppy and so aggressive and, and just looks like a lot of extra motion that that's kind of holding him back. Um, I, I would never hold anyone back for... Uh, for thinking that that's too big of a problem with him. You know, I definitely understand that. Uh, I think for me at the end of the day, you know, that's something that can be refined. That's something that can be, um, you know, touched up a bit at the next level, especially when you have more development tools at your hands in an NHL organization. Uh, and I think his his on-ice awareness and his, his skill just outweighs, you know, that concern um, for me, so... Yeah, it, it's definitely a lot of factors to balance with Mercer, but at the same time, I mean, you look at his production with Drummondville, and it was at a pace, when, just in Drummondville alone, it was on a pace similar to what Jonathan Huberto was doing in his draft year, so he's always had me intrigued since then, but uh, I feel like it's time we move on to the third prospect I want to talk about, um, and that's uh, Jan Misak, who's been, uh, he's been one of the draft's most polarizing prospects all, all uh, just all year. Uh, he's taken a bit of an unorthodox route to get to the draft as well. He started off the season in the Czech Pro League, a uh, place where he had success last year too, um, but that he transferred midway through the year into the CHL, uh, where he's now with the Hamilton Bulldogs playing alongside uh, Arthur Kaliev, who the Sens kind of infamous, infamously passed on there. Um, but his current expected range is, is right now between 12th and 24th. Um, and uh, Eric, you have him just ranked inside that at 23rd at the lower end. Um, I wouldn't say that's too low, considering that there's actually some mainstream sources who have all the way outside the first round entirely. Um, but I was just wondering what you think of Misak as a potential first-round pick. Yeah, I definitely think he's a first-round talent. Um, you know, I don't think there's any any question about that for me. Uh, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. He's been pretty polarizing, and it's gotten to a point at times where it seemed like you either think he's a you know, top 15 skilled player in the, in the class, or he's, you know, not even worth a first round risk. And I think the real answer is kind of somewhere in between. Um, and, you know, for me, I think part of the, that kind of polarizing nature and, and part of all the discussion is, 
you know, he was a player who didn't have a coming out party per se, but, you know, was a name that was talked a lot about on the international stage this year, um, especially with a couple of big time plays at the World Juniors for the Czech Republic. Um, you know, he didn't have a huge sample size in the OHL with Hamilton, um, just a little over 20 games, but was over a point per game player in that time. Um, his skill, you know, his, his, his game is obviously founded on his shooting ability and his offensive skills. Um, you know, really good shooter, really good with the puck on a stick. Um, when he's got a full steam of head going up the ice, uh, you know, he's a quick skater, um, you know, obviously good offensive mm-hmm. instinct, but, yeah. um, you know, not everything's there for me. I think there's some other aspects that can be improved. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, as, uh, he kind of did that jump to the Czech Republic, to the CHL and it was, it was a, a bit of a surprise at first, but it was also kind of understandable because he gets more eyes on him, especially since uh, he uh, it seemed like he wasn't getting as much attention in the Czech League, where not as many scouts are going to spend much time there compared since there aren't really many prospects coming through there. Um, but I'm wondering how you think that uh, jump to the CHL uh, affected your perception, or if it affected your perception at all. Do you find that um, um, he he was kind of just a, a similar player and in, in doing his um, showing a similar skill set, or do you think that the jump to the new E kind of affected uh, him at all? Yeah, I mean, I think naturally it's it's got to affect you somehow. I mean, like you said, you know, in the Czech league, he's playing in a pro league with men. Um, you know, the minutes aren't what they're going to be in the OHL. Um, you know, the the type of player you're playing with isn't going to be what it is in the OHL. So um, it's actually kind of interesting scouting players in professional European leagues because in a sense you have to isolate you know their ability and what they're doing a lot more because Mm -hmm. uh the factors just aren't as even across the board you know like you go to the OHL and a lot of these guys are similar in age similar in size you know playing in the same systems for a while um whereas you know over there it's a lot different but you know then you come to the OHL and you get a different opportunity all of a sudden you're playing you know top minutes a night you're playing you know, with players like Arthur Kaliev and, and Tag Bertuzzi, and you know, um, it's a bit of a different game. It's a smaller rink, um, so I think you do have to adjust your thinking going into that. And that's definitely something that I think I have to remind myself of. Of times, is you know, not only is there an adjustment, but uh, you should take the time to evaluate how long and how much adjustment that player needs to this new environment, because that's a you know a skill that's. Um, can be used down the road as well. And I think he, he adjusted very well, obviously, you know, 25 points in 22 games. Um, I think it was just too small of a sample size for him to really improve on a lot of the things in his game that I'm not totally sold on um, going into the draft. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to watch next year, assuming Kaliev stays in the OHL just, just to see that dynamic duo together. I mean, they have, they have the potential to really tear some, tear the league apart, but um yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he holds up with that. But uh, just looking at his stat line, uh, just the goals and assists. I mean, he's pretty heavy on the goals side, uh, just on the just in the ratio. And I'm wondering what you think his potential might be as a goal scorer, and uh, and how you think that might be able to translate into uh, higher levels. Sure, it's tough for me. I think one thing, and um, you know, I think a lot of people will highlight his his speed and his skating ability, and I think that's fair. I think he's overall, I think he's a good skater. Um, but there are, you know, a couple instances where, you know, he was, what he would do is he would, um, you know, 
glide too much trying to get around defenders or try to use too many lateral steps to get around defenders instead of that explosive speed forward. And, uh, you know, I think it's just about tightening up that skating stride. I think there were a couple instances where I saw just a lot of extra motion that, you know, probably is going to slow him down. And I think it's like, you know, it's almost funny how many breakaways or odd man rushes he created or was a part of on the penalty kill in Hamilton, um, which is really interesting having such a skilled player um, playing that many penalty kill minutes. It's a good interesting, but, you know, uh, there were a few times where he was getting caught, you know, chased down by OHL defenders who are good players, but, you know, they're overagers or they're 19-year-olds who, you know, aren't going to make it to the NHL. So I think it's just about getting quicker there. And, you know, if he's able to unlock that, I think his um, his goal scoring can really hit a, a great level at, uh, you know, the pro, in the pro ranks. I mean, this is somebody who I think could easily score 30 goals a year once he, uh, you know, really settles into um, who he is as a player at an NHL organization. Um, but it's just about, you know, being a bit more proactive off the puck, um, both in the defensive zone, going into breakouts, and then, uh, like I said, just tightening up that skating for me. For sure. And, and I mean, watching him, he he definitely comes off as a very green, like a, a very raw skill set that mm-hmm. definitely could have the potential to, to do some damage at higher levels. But uh, yeah, there, there's certainly uh, definitely, I mean, as it is with almost every prospect, maybe Lafreniere being the only uh, counter example, but every prospect has stuff to improve on. I mean, these are 17, 18 year olds and I mean, they have long careers ahead of them too. So he'll be an interesting player to watch, but uh, I want to go on to the last player, and we'll stick with another OHL forward for our final player, and uh, that is Jacob Perot. He plays for the Sarnia Sting. Uh, he's been one of the more, just just personally, he's been one of the more fun players to watch this season, um, as he scored 39 goals and 70 points as another one of the best uh, drafts, better goal scorers. Um, he's currently expected to be taking uh, to be taken in the back half of the first round between uh, 19th and 31st. Um, and Eric, you have him high up at 14th, and you actually had. Uh, a good uh, video field profile on Jacob Pro on on the four check this morning, so I recommend every every uh, I recommend all of our listeners checking that out. I'll link it on the podcast page as well. Uh, but I'm wondering um, what makes you have Pro up at 14th? Sure, yeah, thank you, uh, thank you for shouting that out. Um, well, the the number one reason why Jacob Pro is so high is because he is the son of former Nashville Predator legend Yannick Perot. And that oh, yeah. means so much. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no, I, I really like Perot's game. I think he's uh, I think he's so skilled. Uh, you know, he's a smaller guy. He's under six foot. Um, he just turned 18 about a month ago, and he's been playing on a horrendous Sarnia team. I mean, just an yeah. awful team there. Um, despite having some really, like, they've got Jamison Reese, you know, is a name that stands out, uh, Ryan McGregor, but, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, playing on a pretty bad Sarnia team, I, I think I've seen some concerns about uh, his even strength goals for percentage relative to his teammates being in the negative, um, which is fair. But again, I mean, this team is really bad. <laughs> uh, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. But, you know, the thing that stands out to me initially is he scored 30 goals as a 16-year-old in the OHL as a rookie, which is not a common feat. Um, You know, obviously Shane Wright this season kind of blew up a spot doing it as a 15-year-old. But, um, you know, outside of the only other player in this class, I think who's done it was Cole Perfetti, who's, you know, definitely a top 10 pick. Um, So, you know, I like Pro. I think he's really skilled. I think he uh, is a really good player with the puck on his stick. 
reminds me a bit of Phil Tomasino in that regard, the Preds' first-round pick last year. Um, both quick transition players, which I like a lot, and both you know deceptively good shooters. Um, and I think that's you know where the love comes for me. I think there's certainly things he's got to work on, but um, I mean the skill is is really impressive for somebody his age and his size. And uh, I think his his on ice awareness in all three zones. Now, it doesn't always translate game in and game out, but uh, I think it's definitely there. So, yeah, it's it's interesting, and I mean, yeah, it just makes him an exciting player to watch. Just as this dynamic goal scorer who can really uh, make things happen on a dime, it seems. And um, as you mentioned in your article today, uh, you kind of uh, talked a lot about his offense being this, uh, being his his best capabilities as it is for a lot of these young prospects, but also uh, mentioned a bit about his his defense just being. Uh, kind of the main concern for a lot of scouts with Perot. And I'm wondering a bit how you like to balance those offense versus defensive uh, factors in your scouting process for the draft. Do you find that um, do you find that you're you're more com- you'd be more comfortable taking a gamble in a player with a high uh, offensive ceiling versus defense or do you feel like um, the defense should also be taken well into account at, at the draft table? Sure. You know, I, I think it depends on the player. Um, I think for a lot of players, you know, not everything is obviously teachable, but, you know, when you're a good skater, when you've got, you know, a good awareness about you and you are good with the puck on your stick, I think, you know, any defensive shortcoming can be covered up well. You know, all these players that are going to get drafted are eventually going to go into a system that, you know, they're probably not used to, you know, they're going to have to learn new things, especially in the defensive zone. There's going to be a learning curve no matter what. Um I think when you've got a player as skilled as him and, you know, someone who reacts well to plays, who's got good puck support, uh, who, uh, you know, plays well in regards to uh, heading where the play is going to be, not um, responding to where it is, um, then that's not something that's really going to draw me back. Uh, I think there's been a lot of instances this season when I watched him where he's made good defensive plays, he's made good defensive reads. Even when he wasn't involved in the play, he was, you know, good positionally. Uh, and then there were other moments where, you know, yeah, he just didn't seem like he was really committed to what was going on, or he didn't really, you know, maybe know what exactly to do when a play got blown up. Um, and that's fine. I think, you know, a lot of that stuff gets kind of papered over when you go into these organizations again, when you've got a lot more development tools, um, you know, available for use. So I think it's certainly you know, when you pick out the things that can't be taught um, or, you know, there just isn't enough time to teach, uh, then that, you know, defensive, you know, you know, lacking in the, that department can be a concern. But with him, uh, you know, it's not something that really concerns me. Totally. And I, I find that there's a good portion of it that also comes down to the development program of the team that he gets drafted by as well and how they work with him and, and how they find what they need to work on. And uh, maybe that can be something with Perot that if he lands himself with the right team, the things can just uh, all work out. Um, but that kind of concludes most of this episode. But as always, I like to end off um, these draft bitter episodes by giving the guests a chance just to kind of rave about whichever players you like. Uh, maybe some sleeper picks you just enjoy outside the first couple of rounds. Uh, so, Eric, are there any players you think teams should just be keeping an eye out on? Yeah, um, I will start with that. This person is not a sleeper pick. Uh, he will definitely be taken in the top two rounds, hopefully in the first round. 
but I have to give my plug to uh, Martin Chromiak, uh, the Kingston yeah. Frontenacs. Um, I really like this kid. Uh, I, I had him in my top 31. A lot of people have him lower than that, but uh, he is really skilled. Similar to, to Yen Misak, um, came over from Slovakia halfway through the year to Kingston, uh, had 33 points in 28 games, albeit he was playing with Shane Wright, but, you know, that <laughs> still a very good player in his own right. Uh, and the big thing for me is, is how young he is, too. Um, he was, he turned uh, he, had, he turns 18 um, towards the end of August this year, so uh, one of the younger players in the draft, and... Um, just a guy who really smart, you know, really good offensive player attacks the middle of the ice. Well, you know, can, can protect the puck along the boards. Well, um, you know, obviously playing with Shane Wright is just a, a, a gift that I'm sure many would kill for, but uh, this is somebody I really like. And uh, you know, whoever takes him, he's going to have a massive year in the OHL next season. So um, mm-hmm. that'll be helpful for them. So not a deep round guy, but um, somebody that I, I think will be very good coming out of this class. Um, but other, you know, kind of players down the list, I uh, one that I've, I've noticed a lot this year when when scouting is um, uh, Alex Laferriere, not Alexis Lafreniere, but Alex yeah. Laferriere uh, <laughs> plays for Des Moines in the USHL. Um, really interesting player. Um I wasn't. I haven't intentionally watched a ton of Des Moines games this year, but I have caught him often um, watching some Omaha and Sioux City games for some Nashville prospects. And uh, every game I watched, he really stood out to me. Um, he's a good transitional player. Um, you know, controlled zone entries and exits. Uh, you know, he's a solid puck protector, um, despite not being the biggest person uh player you know on the ice um led the the buccaneers in scoring over a point per game um he's gone to harvard uh in a couple seasons and uh you know i think this is somebody that a team could could grab in the third round or so that uh you know he might be you know a few season guy in the ncaa but i think he's a really mature player for his age and um and somebody that could that could be a good uh you know Dark horse prospect for a team. And then I guess one more um, that I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with is um, Samuel uh, Johansson, who's a defender uh, over in Sweden. Um, another player I, I just kind of noticed while watching others, um, pretty young, uh, was over, was about almost a point per game in the, the super uh, elite level, the junior level um, this year. So he got, he also got about over 40 games of SHL time and scored 11 points as a 18 slash 19 year old, um, which was third among all defenders on his team. Uh, I think he's a really, really good skater, good passer, um, smooth, you know, with the puck on his stick, really good decision-making. And I think for him, it's just a matter of refining, um, you know, his defensive positioning, the way he gaps up players when they come into the zone, um, and also just being a bit more active in the offensive zone and not hugging that blue line so tight. He's a bit older. Uh, he'll be turning 20 uh, a little after Christmas this year, but um, I think he's he's a good enough skater that you, know, you could take a late-round flyer on this guy and, you know, keep him in Sweden for a couple years, and uh, you might have a really useful player on your hands after that. 
Totally. That's uh, definitely some great picks. And you mentioned Chromiak as well. I mean, I've also been a big fan of Chromiak. I mean, s- similar to that Misak and uh, Kaliev line, I'm going to be super excited to watch uh, Chromiak, right? And uh, I think Zade Wisdom as well on that line together next season. Um, but thank you so much, Eric, for joining this kind of uh, last minute format switch of an episode. Uh, just to close things off, uh, where can the listeners find your work? Sure. Yeah. So I write, uh, as Colin mentioned, I write for On the Forecheck, which is the SB Nation blog for the Nashville Predators. Um, do prospects both in the system and draft prospects. Uh, you can find my account on Twitter at On the Future OTF, um, where I pretty regularly post um, video clips as well as uh, the articles I write and um, some data vids for the the stats that I've tracked throughout the season. So. Feel free to check that out. Um, And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Colin. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, Well, everyone, be sure to give him a follow. And yeah, thanks, Eric, so much for taking your time today to join the show. Thanks so much. As I wrap it up, a reminder that you can find the Cost Per Point cast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you like it, you can rate and review it on those platforms as well. Uh, You can find my work on Twitter at CutmoreColin and read my writing at Silver7Cents.com where we're just starting our draft writing there too so uh, be sure to check us out there and even though Trevor wasn't on this episode my co-host you can find him on Twitter at ShaqTS and you can follow our Twitter account at CPPointCast where you will be the first to find out about new episodes as well as submit listener questions in future we'll be back again this Thursday with another exciting episode of Draft Debaters with two scouts this time Uh, but that's all for today folks adios